Greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Air Power Hour. Tech Sergeant Check here, and this week I had the honor to sit down with the highest enlisted member of the newest military branch, Chief Master Sergeant of the Space Force, Roger Toberman. Both being natives of Wisconsin, it's natural that we discuss Wisconsin sports and the key to the perfect consistency of cheese curds. With 30 years of service in the Air Force as an airborne linguist, 19 deployments, and holding multiple leadership positions, Chief Toberman was selected to become the first senior enlisted leader of the Space Force. After two and a half years in his current position, Chief explains in this episode that his goal is not to get stuff done, but to change the world. Lastly, Chief Toberman shared how important it is in life to stay true to yourself and being present. I can't thank Chief enough for coming on the show. His love for what he does is truly infectious. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the Chief Master Sergeant of the Space Force, Roger Toberman. To all units, proceed to your post assignment. All units, proceed to your post assignment. Welcome to the Air Power Hour. All right, welcome back to the Air Power Hour. My name is Tech Sergeant Check, and I've got a good one today, folks. I am extremely excited. Uh, I am sitting here across the table from none other than the Chief Master Sergeant of the United States Space Force, Chief Roger Toberman. Chief Toberman, first off, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you taking your time. Uh, I know you have a very busy schedule, uh, but we're here in the Wisconsin Dells Kalahari Resort. You're here for our training conference, and I'm just extremely grateful for the opportunity to be able to sit down with you, and I... I'm glad and excited to have you on. Uh, so thank you and uh, welcome. Yeah, thanks. You know, I was, came for the cheese curds and stay for the fun, stay for the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, the cheese curds. We were talking earlier, you know, there's, there's different levels to the cheese curds and you got to find the right ones. And Westby has some of the best cheese curds. Yeah, I, I didn't know this. Off to next time I'm in Westby, I'll check it out. Yes, uh, they are phenomenal. You know, you get the, the good... You obviously you're you're from Wisconsin, so you know the 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 way you determine a cheese curd is good, right? It's the squeak. If you yeah. bite into the cheese curd, it squeaks. It has to squeak. It has to squeak. Yeah, I think there's other levels to a good cheese. I mean, but we yesterday we had award winning state best cheese curds in the state yesterday really? down in Madison. Yeah, so I mean, so I'm not just saying. They were good, like they won an award. There's a big sign on the window. So now, are they were they uh, deep fried? Uh, they were. Oh, and they were not uniform in there. Like all the indicators were there that somebody had taken great care to yes get us good. And they were they were so they were sopping wet with greasy goodness oh yeah but they didn't get that you know that when when if they're not good they'll start to the the grease will start to get cold and it'll have that little bit of that kind yes. of texture and aftertaste not there not there no, oh wow they were i don't know how they i don't know what kind of oil they use or what what but uh yeah they were they were amazing that's amazing. cheese curds yeah which i don't eat Normally, of course, but yeah. since I was coming home, gotta yeah. Speaking of coming home, welcome back to Wisconsin. Yeah. How does it feel to be it's, back? It's awesome. I love I love coming home. I mean, I know we we don't have a lot 
lot to look forward to in, in the world of sports. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big sports fan, uh, part owner of the Green Bay Packers. I, yeah. I take pride in that. But right now it's uh, rough. But the, the badges are 1-0 and on the court. That's right. Absolutely. So. They were, uh, I watched that game the other day, and yeah, they looked pretty good. Yeah, they did. I actually thought, I mean, Chucky Hepburn got hurt last year right before the tourney, right? That yep. made all the difference. They would have gone deep, I think. I, so we'll see what happens. I agree. Perennially underrated. Always. So Always. But it's homegrown it talent. Yeah. And it's all about fundamental basketball with Wisconsin, and, and that's what I grew up playing. So uh, I have a, a soft spot for for Badger Ball. Yeah, me too. So, Chief Toberman, we have you here on the Air Power Hour, uh, and I know that we could sit and talk Wisconsin sports nonstop and, and, and all about you know this great state that, that we're both from. Uh, but what we're here to do is I want to hear Chief Toberman's story. I want to start by starting at the beginning. Uh, when did you decide that you were going to join the Air Force first? Uh, well, so I remember um, I had a very clever recruiter, Brian Booth, and he, um, he was an umpire in the bar league, softball league, right? Yeah. And so, which is a very clever thing to do if you're a recruiter. Absolutely. Because every night he had one potential recruit after another, you know, coming up. And most of the time, I'm not completely sober, right? And so, he could give us sales pitch and we'd listen. Heck yeah. But uh, a friend of mine um, had a cousin that, um, that had been a linguist and, and the rumor was that we could get a, uh, an enlistment bonus if we were picked to be linguists. I was probably more interested in the bonus than I was in the Air Force, to be honest. I'd kind of messed up my life in pretty much every way possible for a young man and uh and and so this this notion that maybe somebody would give us a couple grand to sign up got me in to take a to take a test so i took a i took an aptitude test of language mm -hmm. aptitude battery and uh and i did pretty well on it and the recruiter said hey you can learn a foreign language and i always joke i said no i i can't i failed out of ninth <laughs> grade spanish like i know i can't do this but um, he was dangling a couple grand in front of me. It was 1990, and uh, I said, "Okay, I'm I'm in." So that's uh, that's what happened. I remember I remember it well. To driving uh, driving to the Meps, and off I went. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Hey, I mean, a nice bonus. That's a nice thing to have. So yeah, it was uh, it, it was good. I didn't getting any of it I, th I think i gave it all to my mom but uh i was pretty indebted to pretty much everyone i knew at the time so so you came in to the air force as a linguist was it airborne or uh, ground linguist yes yeah, so i came in on a contract to be an airborne spanish linguist when i got to dli they changed that and then i became a ground Chinese linguist, so I learned mm. Mandarin Chinese. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that's what happened. What I thought was happening was not what ended up happening, which is kind of the recurring theme for the rest of my career. Like every time you think you got it figured out and you know what's going to happen, that's fate is a hunter. That's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So now DLI, that is the Defense Language Institute, correct? Yeah. yeah. And how long is that? I mean, you you went there and you learned, you basically came out fluent in Mandarin. Yeah. So in those days, it was a 48-week course. Wow. And I was not fluent. I was capable. And in those days, that was uh, good enough. You basically got through the course, and now it's good enough. Now, nowadays, there's standards that you got to meet, and it, you really are have to be pretty good. I uh, kind of snuck snuck through uh, in the old days when they didn't care as much about that. But uh, yeah, it was a 48 week course. I'm sure now it's uh, probably 63 weeks or longer, 64 weeks um, these days. I was I was out there. Uh, not too long ago, I went out and uh, was a speaker at the Air Force uh, birthday ball at at DLI. So it was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. I it, it's I have a funny story about I had a I put an individual in the Air Force uh, when I was a recruiter, and he became a linguist. And I knew this kid was going to do great things because he he had a perfect score on the ASVAB, you know, ninety nines across the yeah. board. So I was like, this guy's going to do something amazing. He gets a linguist job, goes off to uh, the Defense Language Institute, and I get a phone call one day, and I pick it up, and it's just this guy yelling at me in Mandarin. And I was like, uh, I'm sorry, I wrong number. And then he just goes, no, it's me. It's me, Logan. I, I made it. And I, it was just the coolest thing ever because I recruited him out of South Bend, Indiana. He didn't know one bit of Mandarin. Yeah. And he calls me, and it's just it was phenomenal. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So how long have you been in the Air Force, sir? So I was in the Air Force for just under 30 years. And then I, I moved over to the Space Force on the 3rd of April of 2020. So I've been in two and a half years now in the Space Force. So 30, yeah, 32 and a half wow. years. 32 years yeah. of service. September. So I hit 30 two years in September total service. Well, thank you for your yeah. service. I had to do the math in my head. I know, right? It's, yeah, 32 that's years. That's, that's amazing. It's a long time. It is. Yeah, it's sometimes when I'm talking to folks, well, on a, even sometimes weirder than that is that I, I've been a chief since 2009. So I'll be like, like what were you doing in 2009? Uh, I, was, I was stationed in Dover. Yeah. And and how long had you been in? Three years. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I've been a chief almost your whole career. Yeah, that's so it's, wow. It's, um, it's been a long time. Yeah, that I mean that's like old. We we need chiefs like that. I mean, unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people they they work so hard to get up to that that enlisted leader, that senior enlisted leader, and then they, it's it's time for them to push the button and yeah, so then. The data shows that the faster you get promoted, the sooner you retire. That makes sense. So it's, um, it, it sort of begs the question from a, from a managing a force perspective is how do you trickle in? How do you find that flow? That's what they call it in the gaming industry, right? How do you keep people engaged so that it's not too easy, but it's certainly, you don't want it to be too hard either. How do you... I sure. deliver those things that on the, and certainly there's a lot of things that inspire people that aren't promotion, but, but it's a, 
it's a quirky little detail about enlisted promotions that the faster you make chief, the sooner you retire. You don't make chief in 14 years and then stay till 30. Not most people don't do that. Yeah. Coming from a, an individual who obviously I, I'm not a chief yet, uh, but having that leadership that stays there and that stays with us, uh, it, it's extremely important for the continuity of the force and, and everything. So we, we appreciate people like you that could have retired a while ago, but you stay in. And I'm sure it's probably for you know, the love of what you do yeah. and, and, and for the people. So It's 100% about people. Mm-hmm. It has been for a long time. Yeah. I, I know that you, you have probably had multiple uh, different assignments. Uh, I know you've hold, held multiple roles, um, not only as just you know, an individual who went from Air Force to Space Force, uh, but also in within the Air Force, and and uh, do you have any uh, interesting stories about you know uh, deployment uh, or or a really cool assignment that you had that uh, that you you wanted to you know talk about? Well, yeah, I got. I mean, it's got a lot of stories. I'm trying to think of any that are you know suitable for a, <laughs> a normal audience. So I had uh, I deployed 19 times. Um, 19 in my Whoa. career, I was a RC-135 guy. So proud uh, rivet joint uh, flyer and and uh, deployed many many times with the RJ. A lot of interesting stories. We um, we went to a lot of interesting places. What was cool um, right before Operation Iraqi Freedom kicked off? I was in Turkey. We were gonna. We were going to fly those missions. We had been flying Operation Northern Watch out of Turkey for many years. Uh, Operation Southern Watch out of Prince Sultan Air Base in Saudi Arabia. And, and as we were pivoting to Operation Iraqi Freedom, we, we thought, well, I thought we'd do that out of Turkey. And then it changed. And so I remember on a very kind of last minute orders, and in a very limited, we were very limited to the aircraft and crew and all that. But we had to leave. And then, uh, and then we had the terrible misfortune of then flying Iraqi Freedom deployment from, from the Greek island of Crete. So wow. I would spend the next several months in a fancy hotel yeah, in Crete. Very nice. it, was, yeah, it was pretty rough. Uh, everybody hated it and and of course you're sort of obligated you're obligated when you're flying nighttime missions you know circadian rhythm is really important for sure and so in between missions you're sort of obligated to go out on the town you know so that you could keep your it was all about the circadian rhythm um you know but you just needed to stay up all night so it, it luckily for us the the Greek um, clubs would stay open all yeah. night, so there was there was things to do. It was all always always about the mission. That's right, <laughs> the sacrifices we make, right? Yeah, yeah. There's so, a lot of those. I mean, it's just a lot of uh, stories over the years. Weird, different things we 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 did. Yeah, there's always something. Nineteen deployments. That is, I mean, I thought I had a lot. I have four. 19, I, I heard you say that earlier today, and I, I was like, how much of a, first of all, how amazing is your family uh, to be able to 
to see you go for 1400 days of your your career and and be there to support you both you know mentally and physically and but that that has to be a, a taxing part of the the journey i guess it was um it was tough right so my i've got two sons and um and they're superheroes and i love them dearly and i don't know if i'll ever feel like i i have repaid that debt of what i put them through and how often i was gone and for how long and and then yeah it was it was really tough and uh it was really tough i remember i spent 11 years of my air force career in one squadron so i saw that squadron do that for a long time and from every i wore every stripe from staff sergeant to chief in that squadron so i so i had experience and and i remember as a chief pulling the alpha roster and that we had more uh divorced personnel than we had married personnel been more single and divorced it was just a, it was a really hard life to live it was really hard on families um, it was a community that we did not take care of very well. And, uh, yeah, you you wouldn't, I think I wouldn't trade it for the world. You make lifelong friends and, and you experience things that were amazing, but we were really, really hard on, on, it was really hard on our families. And those people that navigated it successfully, 100%, they, you know, they deserve the, Kind of recognition, the praise, the gratitude that, yeah. that they get—it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I can imagine a a job like that that is very demanding uh, of of you can be uh, quite rewarding, though. I mean, did you did you feel like you were making a difference? Yeah, especially early on when I started flying, I was a you know I told you I was a Chinese linguist originally, mm-hmm. and then in in 1997 the Air Force asked me to learn. Albanian, so I started flying as an Albanian linguist and um, for Kosovo and Allied Force and and all that. And those days were awesome. They were long and hard missions, and but but you felt like you were making a difference. There was a, a important work that needed to be done in the Balkans. And then and then I started flying, uh, as I mentioned, Operation Southern Watch and Operation mm-hmm. Northern Watch, and again. Like you didn't just know that it mattered, but you were really good at it. Like the crew was really good. We knew yeah. what we were doing. We were experts. And there's something really motivating uh, and inspiring about just knowing that you were good at something, right? You're like, hey, this is, this is what we do. As uh, time went on, that was less true of, say, uh, Enduring Freedom and some of those mm-hmm. missions that would come afterwards where we'd made such a name for ourselves as a community in northern watch southern watch and allied force and all all that that they're like okay here's a new thing like you guys go do this as well and and man people worked so hard and they did such a good job considering but the considering part was significant we we weren't trained we weren't resourced we didn't have the right talent on the jet necessarily and so People worked really, really hard to do the best they could, um, but it really started to break everybody because it was 
you just it just lacked some of the what we'd had in other places mm-hmm. you weren't just asking people to work hard you essentially were only asking them to work hard yeah and and that takes a lot of the joy the motivation out of it and it it became really difficult for a lot of years and a lot of really good people got uh burned out and yes it was yeah it was tough Mm -hmm. yeah so after 20 years or after 30 years in the air force you moved over to the space force how did that process happen and and uh what inspired you to to make that change well it was uh it was an interesting process it was pretty clunky Uh, a lot of paperwork a lot of manual processes i waited 18 months for an id card i mean it was a lot of interesting things that were going on but um but the reason was that was a lot easier i was working for general raymond uh, as an airman i'd been at air force space command with him i'd uh, helped him stand up U.S. Space Command, so we'd set up the combatant command together, and then kind of as the things started to unfold, and when he was willing to allow me, right, to be a part of mm-hmm. this, uh, it, didn't, it didn't take me long to think through it. I mean, the opportunity was a chance to help change the world. That's what we say in the office every day, right? I'm like, we're not here to, to get stuff done. We're here to change the world. And yeah. so when you have that opportunity, I think you, I think you grab it. Think you have to grab it absolutely and then you and you are selected as the first senior enlisted leader for the united states space force that's that's got to be a pretty awesome feeling if, if what your your goal is to change change the lives and uh and do do something great what is a day in the life of the chief master sergeant of the united states space force like <laughs> it's uh it's not not all that exciting most days i think it's uh it's um it's hard work so we've got this endless pile of stuff that we've got to do Mm -hmm. and we're just working through it and there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done the the pentagon is not a place one goes to change the world right like it's for all the right reasons it's a it's a place that change isn't um, isn't easy, and so here we are trying to do things uh, differently, trying to execute the the tasks we've been given, and it in a lot of days it's it's tough, it's a struggle. You you work through it, and uh, you have a meeting, then you have a meeting about the meeting, and then you have a, a meeting about the meeting that was about the meeting, and but you you, you kind of approach it with persistent optimism and and you lean on your core values and 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 you keep smiling and it's been it's been cool i mean we've done so much i think if if someone were to go back in time three years and make a list of everything that we've done and hand it to us three years ago we'd say yeah we we won't do that like i don't know what we'll get done but we can't get all of that done and somehow we have you know and and so it's it's pretty neat to be in the middle of it all and and um but most days on the day-to-day uh it's a lot like work i mean it's just hard work and yeah the i think someday we'll i uh i think of the the kind of the infinity gauntlet i was a comic book 
geek, you know, long time ago, but uh, you know, you think of this this vision that Thanos had that when he completed his task, he was just gonna chill, right? And, yeah. And in the movie, there's this scene of him sitting, and that's what I kind of in my head, I'm like, yeah, like one day I'll just be able to put my feet up and, and reflect on all of this, but right now it's there's just too much to do. I bet. Yeah. I can only imagine. So I know that you you mentioned actually earlier today and, and, and having a commander who is United States Space Force, uh, we get a lot of people that are like, I didn't even know that Space Force was a thing. I thought that was just kind of like a, you know, a, a Elon Musk or whatever, you know. Can you explain to our listeners uh what the Space Force is and what their mission is. What, why do we have a, a standalone service now just for the Space Force? Yes, yeah, so, you know, as a, as a world, our reliance on space has been growing for decades. And for most of that time, through the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, for most of that time, Space was uncontested, uncongested. You could put something up there like a GPS satellite and it would, it would be fine. It would, if it got up there and, and uh, survived its uh, launch and, and it got on orbit and did what it's supposed to, then that was it. And, and so we started using space and we use it for communication. We use it for weather. We use it or certainly for precision navigation and timing. And as, and as time has gone on, we've become more and more as a uh, culture, as a society, and, and I'm talking globally, we've become more and more reliant on it. Mm-hmm. Nobody's sitting in Greenwich, England, you know, t- time hacking their watch to a clock tower. Yeah. And we get that stuff from space. And so as this has started happening, and certainly... Uh, on the warfighting side as well, right? Like uh, the technologies mirror and, and how we fight war has also changed in the 32 years of my career. So as, as, as our reliance on space continues to grow and, and then all of a sudden it starts to be less uncongested and uncontested and it starts to get a little bit more in 2007 the People's Republic of China blows up uh, one of their own satellites, a, mm-hmm. a decommissioned satellite. But they blow it up, and that debris still hangs in orbit today. Yeah. Um, but it was it was really maybe the wake up call, it, and that was in 2007. As early as 2001, the Rumsfeld Commission, which was a bipartisan, multi-governmental commission, looked at what was happening and first recommended that there be a space force. Wow. Um, but it didn't for reasons that most of us could clearly see in hindsight for things that happened later in 2001. Uh, it didn't happen, but, but it didn't, the need didn't go away. Mm-hmm. And so it just continued and continued and continued. So a lot of hard work by a lot of people uh, finally in... Uh, in 2019, we said, hey, this is what we need. We stood up, first stood up the combatant command, which is a warfighting uh, geographic combatant command 
U.S. Space Command. And then a few months later, we would stand up the Space Force. And the missions that used to be done by the Air Force and, and the Army and the Navy have all now been brought into um, Space Force. And, and here we are making sure that that modernity that, uh, that people count on remains and that, um, that no one uh, can hold kind of our day-to-day lives at risk by holding yeah. space at risk. Not maybe three years ago when, when we started this, there was about 22,000-ish objects in space that we tracked and about 1,500 satellites three years ago. Wow. Now there's almost 7,000 satellites and almost 50,000 objects that, that we track. So that's how fast things are growing, right? Like it's, it's amazing. That's wild. A lot of a lot of stuff up there to to keep track yeah. of, yeah. And and I know that you had mentioned, um, you know, you, you don't want those things running into each other and causing debris, and and uh, so that's a that's a pretty pretty tall task to to keep watch on that that the guardians are doing now. That's amazing. Yeah, we think so. Yeah, heck yeah. And hey, we we're all about it. You know, we're we're here to support the the space force as air force recruiters and. Um, I get to, you know, put some Space Force stuff on and I get, I mean, look, I've got a right there, Space Force. Oh, look at that. I got to get one of those. Yeah. We'll get you one, Chief. But yeah. I wear this around and, and people ask, oh, Space Force. <laughs> like, hey, yeah. Chief, what I wanted to do is just ask you a few uh, questions about mainly like a long tenured 32 year career. Uh, what is some of the best advice that you've learned throughout that time uh, that you have used and uh, that what you'll continue to use long after your, your time? Man, so I've been given a lot of advice. Some I even listened to. Mostly, I had a lot of good people that were patient with me and allowed me to be myself while holding me accountable right for for um, behaving uh, which isn't always easy to do i think that some of the things that i i know i'll take with me is we talk a lot about process and that if you go into a project or an, an endeavor and you agree up front on the assumptions um, the rules, um, the measures of effectiveness. If you really spend time talking about those types of things, then the analysis kind of does itself, like it takes care of itself. Once you get in that uh, furball, to use a warfighting term, once you get tied up in, in human beings or in outcomes, once you start making guesses, it becomes really, really hard to disconnect. Yeah. But if you up front if you think through this is what's important about this project this is how we'll know it will work these are the things that we know about about the battle space that we're going to navigate well then then you just kind of let it let it play Mm -hmm. out right and so i think that's really important i was not told often directly to to be me i was always shown that it was okay to be me and I, and I take the time 
to tell people that a lot. I think that it's kind of the whole point. Yeah. Like we don't need a bunch of people pretending to be some other thing that, that yes. we convince them, right? Like a team is best when everyone is there being who they are. You, you need to be improving who you are all the time. You need to be working on being the best version of you. But frankly, if whether it's uh, personally or professionally, or maybe in this case professionally or personally, or even if it's an individual or an institution, if some if someone or something is trying to change you, you probably aren't in a healthy relationship with that thing, right? Yeah. Like there's a difference between saying, hey, let's together, let's find the best kind of version of you. Mm-hmm. That's different than, than who you are isn't okay. Yes. And, and so I, I think that it's been an important part of, of who I am as a leader. It's been certainly instrumental to my success is that I've been allowed to be me. I look at things a little bit differently. I'm a little bit weird. I'm not so good at, at the polish. And I've always been taught that that's okay, right? I've always yeah. been allowed to, to do that. So I think, yeah, that, that's maybe my favorite advice that I've ever been given. I got, yeah, I've been told to just simply be more graceful a lot, which I, I don't always, <laughs> I don't always remember to be, but, uh, yeah, that's not as fun to hearing be you. It, yeah, right. You get excited about yeah. hearing "be better." That's like less. <laughs> it's certainly just as relevant. It's kind of less exciting to hear, maybe. Yeah. So if if you had an individual, uh, eighteen to you know thirty five year old, they're, they're sitting down and they and they say that they're interested in joining the space force, but they're not really sure, or they don't really know why. They're interested in serving. What would you say to that individual to, to, to try to, I don't know, almost like sell the space force, like this person's great fit? What kind of information or, or things would you say to that person? I think I would not try to sell them on the space force. I would try to understand. I, and I'll be honest, I don't want someone to be on the team that doesn't want to be on the yes. team. And so kind of not tricking them is really important to me. Mm-hmm. And, and also, I think that service, one, is incredible no matter how you're doing it. And two, I think is important to human beings. I think it's important aspect of our lives to be able to serve something, to be able to do something a little bit selfless, to be able to do something that's servant is important to us as human beings. And it really seems to be important to young people today. Like I, I see it. I see this desire yeah. to serve. I don't necessarily see a desire to be in the military. And so I think if someone was talking to me, that's what I would want to kind of walk through with them. I think my intent would be, hey, let's you and I have a conversation about service, about your future about the things that are important to you, about what makes you tick, about what makes you happy, about what doesn't make you happy, about the things that 
uh, motivate you and the things that you struggle with. And let's have that conversation together and try to find like a, like something you can move towards that, that will check those boxes, right? Like yeah. something. And if that happens to be the space force, then that's awesome. And if it happens to be something else, that's, that's awesome too. Like it doesn't, doesn't offend me in any way. Um, but I, th I think that that's sort of critical. We, we make way better decisions when we move towards something meaningful. When we're trying to move away from things that are uncomfortable, we, we tend to make bad decisions. Yes. And so if you... If you're like, I'll do anything. I just got to get out of this stupid small town. Well, maybe you'll get lucky, right? Or maybe you'll make a really bad decision and you'll find that that didn't really solve your problem in the first sure. place. So I think I probably would not let anyone like lie to themselves in that kind of way, right? And, and I'd try to really make sure that they'd thought it through and that they were moving towards something and, and, and maybe in some ways that by itself would, would be selling the service in a way. Because this is certainly how we, how we expect guardians to kind of approach everything, right? Sure. So, so I think it's, it's interesting. I, I tell the team from time to time that we send all messages at all times, right? Like so, yeah. so maybe the answer to your question is I would simply model the behavior that we expect of guardians and through that modeling somebody could determine on their own if they wanted to be part of that culture part of that team or not and i really would be okay with it one way or another i, I would be really happy if if through that we found anything right like if if that person found something that mattered to them and they moved on and they could call me 10 years later, no matter what it was and go, yeah, you know what? That was a great thing that we did together. Then mm -hmm. I'd, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great. I think, you know, it's, you want quality, not quantity. Uh, you want to find the best fit for the space force. So you let that kind of organically happen. You're not pushing that on them. You're saying, you know, this is something that we do. It's amazing. You want to be a part of it, great. If you don't, I'm not going to be offended. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I, I appreciate that input, Chief. So let's say I am a guardian that just completed basic training. I'm getting ready to start my service in the United States Space Force, and I sat down with Chief Toberman. What kind of advice would you have for that individual? I, I think like we kind of already said, right? Like I'd say, be you, be better. Our core values of connection, character, commitment, and courage, like those weren't accidental. You know, we very carefully came up with those in conversations with guardians. So it, it's who we are. And, and I would ask them to embrace those and to live their life so that you know, each day they're a better version of the person they were yesterday. And to hold us accountable for our role in that, that we, we owe them an investment worthy of their commitment to us. And, um, 
and to just make sure that together we were doing what we could to allow them to maximize their their capability and and contribute in a positive way to our culture, to our service, to our mission, and to other guardians. That's awesome. That's great advice, sir. Yeah. Now, do you have, uh, before we wrap this thing up, I mean, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, it, it's been amazing to hear your story. Do you have anything you'd like to add before we shut it down? I don't know. Do you, what, do you want me to add something? Like, what do you... What did we not talk about that you want to talk about? I mean, I think we, we covered a, a pretty good amount. Uh, I, I mean, I, I could sit and talk all day, but uh, yeah, I think you've, I think you've, I, I, you've had, you have a great story. And uh, just the, the fact that you, you know, went from 30 years in the Air Force over to the Space Force. And I know that you, you were in the White House, right? You were there when they yeah. appointed. I remember a very, Weird day. I, I had to go to the White House for something I can't remember. And, um, and I remember I go through security and, uh, and a, a young man meets me. And, um, and there were some other people with me that were kind of in, in tow. And I was the first one through. And, and, um, and this guy says, he goes, do you know where you're going? And I said, yeah, the vice president's ceremony office. And he said, yep, that's where you're going. I said, yep, I'm good. And, and you, you know, make sure that the people coming behind me, you, know, you can help them. And I start walking and I walked about 10 steps or 15 steps. And I, I kind of paused and it hit me that like, wh why do I know this? Yeah. Like I'm <laughs> some goofy kid that grew up in a trailer park in the, tiny town in Wisconsin. I'm not supposed to know, right? I'm not supposed to know where the vice president's ceremonial <laughs> office is yeah. in the White House grounds. Like it was so weird. But yeah, I, I've had the pleasure of going to the White House a, a few times. I mean, really cool. Once we were there to, to stand up U.S. Space Command. So that was signed into law there in the, in the Rose Garden in August. Crazy story of Ubers in my full service dress and being dropped <laughs> off in the wrong spot and sweating on the 29th of August in DC. It was oh my insane and weird conversations about where I'm supposed to stand and what I'm supposed to do. And if my uniform has the right accoutrements, it was, it was an amazing day. And then, and then I got to be there with the Space Force flag when the first Space Force flag was delivered from, from these wonderful ladies up in Philadelphia that, that hand make all of these flags for the White House, and we got to go there and deliver it. Wow! Um, both to the in the Oval Office, and there was a lot of photos of that day that circulated. And then, um, and then we got to bring to the Vice President's office as well. And it was, yeah, it was really neat. It's been, it's been really neat to to go across the river. I mean, to work in the Pentagon and go there every day and say, "This is this is my office." <laughs> And then to be able to go across the river and into the capital of the greatest nation in the history of the world and to see our lawmakers, to see our executive branch in, in up close, right, in person. It's been, been quite an interesting journey. But I think maybe that's, you asked me if I had anything to add. I would say that, I would say that, 
whatever you're doing, it's easy to get kind of focused on what you're doing, but it's important to take time to be present while yeah. it's happening. I think we sometimes we forget that. And, it, and if you don't do that, um, you just might regret it. And so yeah. it's worth from time to time just slowing down just for a second to go, wait a minute, what am I in the middle of? What's happening? And, and make sure that, that you're there. And um, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of things about my life that are amazing. You know, and I feel very fortunate and very lucky. And somebody will make a list on a, you know, on a web page and say, these are all the things. But, but the truth is, is that it's, it's about the difference that you make in the world. If the only thing they can put on your tombstone is your job title, you didn't do your job very well. That's right. And so, you know, I think that's kind of the, what we're trying to do, right? I'm trying to be present. I'm trying to really focus on helping people and changing their lives and, and, and changing the world. And if we can do that, yeah, and then whatever, the history books or portraits or whatever, whatever happens, happens. None of it will ever define me or, or distract me all that much. It really is about trying to just to do the right thing and take care of people. And so far, so far, so good. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned being present because there's a couple times in this interview where I've, I've wanted to like smack myself <laughs> because I'm like, this is my aha moment. You know, I'm like, uh. I'm sitting here at a table nah. with Chief Toberman, you know, Chief Master Sergeant of Space Force. So that, that I, I, I am present <laughs> uh, and extremely grateful that you decided to come on the, the Space Force, always leading from the front, you know, the first Department of Air Force senior enlisted leader on the Air Power Hour. Oh, nice. Now, I'll go back and tell Chief Bass that. I'll yeah. tell her I scooped her. Yeah. Now, now we just got to, she's going to have to follow you up yeah. and that's, that's a tough job. She will. Yeah. She'll do it. I know she'll do it. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we have. Chief Toberman, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Yeah, brother. Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. It's been awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is the Air Power Hour. Take care, friends. Mm-hmm.